Welcome back, U.S. History fans, for part two of Industrialization. Now, I just left off with my last little podcast here talking about business models, horizontal integration and vertical integration. So I'm kind of staying in line with businesses and so forth. I'm going to talk about economies of scale. All right. When your company becomes so large that you are able to have an advantage by the sheer size, output, or scale of the operation, all right, this is what you call economies of scale. So your business is so big, you can afford to have cheaper items and stuff. Think of it like Costco. You can buy cheaper in bulk. If you're so big, you can you know, do a lot of things differently than other companies just because of the sheer size. You don't mind losing money on something because you have so much to begin with. Um, you have so much capital. So um, another example would be uh, the Oculus Rift, virtual reality put out by Facebook. All right, kind of. They're the company that owns them. Facebook has so much money that they can afford to sell a video game system like the Oculus Rift or Sony with the PlayStation and Microsoft with the Xbox and so forth. They can afford to sell those at a loss because they are such a large company. They want to get that product into the hands of the people. So they are so big they can afford to do these kind of things because they have these giant operations. All right, so these new giant corporations of the day, not so much Microsoft, Sony, that's later down the road, um, and these large corporations were controlled by shareholders. And these companies became so big that they would sell pieces or shares of the company. And this is kind of going to get into the stock market. So the reason I'm going over this now is because a lot of this is going to come into play later on when we get into the stock market. So Basically what I want you to know, there's these giant corporations that are forming during this time and they can be, like pieces of these companies can be owned by individuals. And we're going to see this kind of come into play and stay into play to the 1920s and then things are going to get really bad October 29th, 1929. It was a Tuesday. We'll talk about it. Anyhow, more on that later. So these giant businesses are all, you know, they're growing and they're doing things differently, the horizontal integration, the vertical integration, and there's a lot of innovation going on during this time that all these businesses are changing. For instance, the we see modernization of agriculture and, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, harvesting different crops and refining different crops and refining different materials in general. So, for instance, the textile industry or clothing and cloth. I was grabbing my shirt as I said that one, but you can't tell because it's a podcast. So, the first one we're going to talk about is the cotton gin by Eli Whitney. And it basically allowed us to harvest cotton quicker. So now that we have all this cotton, we need to do something with it. So we have excess amount of cotton we need to turn into thread faster. Then steps in the spinning jenny, which made thread faster. Now Samuel 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 ugh, Crompton, and I apologize for my butchering of that, combined the spinning jenny with a water frame and called it the spinning mule. So what this allowed was kind of uh, an automation of turning thread faster by combining it with that water frame. So it's it's a limited power supply, which I'm gonna be talking about here in just a little bit with steam power versus water power kind of stuff, which is technically the same, but we'll get into that. Now we've 
We're getting cotton faster. We're making thread faster. Now we need to make cloth faster. Now the old school way of doing cloth was a loom that was run by hand and you'd throw this little shuttle thing across. Well now they have this thing called the flying shuttle and it basically made cloth faster by having this little like piece of wood that would carry a piece of, uh, of thread across this loom and it would allow you to combine thread faster to make cloth. And this is a, a lot of cotton mills during this time were formed because of this giant change. Now, moving on outside of kind of agricultural like textile industry stuff, we have steel. And this is the Bessemer process with made by Henry Bessemer. And it allowed for the mass production of steel. And it made steel from molten pig iron is type of iron during that time. Well, now that we have a lot of steel, they can go into railroads. And I'll be talking about some more railroad stuff here in just a little bit. So hang tight. I'll come back to that one. All right. Now, I mentioned earlier about water power. So originally, we had water power, like, you know, by streams and stuff. That was our best way. We had water wheels, and that's how we got water. Now the trouble is during the winter, eh, you're probably not going to get a lot of power from water. All right. If there's a drought, probably not going to get a lot of power. Oh, and by the way, you have to be located next to a stream or some kind of water source. So this isn't going to work too well. But now we have steam power where we can use coal to heat up water, produce steam, and then run turbines and so forth. And now we have electricity or some type of harnessable power, maybe not necessarily full electricity, which we'll get into in a minute, with ACDC. And it's not the music. So anyhow, these steam engines were being used to power pumps um, in mines uh, for transportation, uh, running equipment, you name it, this is our new power source. And then steps in Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. Power. Yeah, ACDC. So standing in the left corner, weighing in at a lean, mean 165 pounds, Nikola Tesla, who believed in AC, also known as alternating current. And this allows for power to be sent over greater distances. He was contracted to start powering the Chicago World's Fair. He created the first radio-controlled vehicle, which was a boat. Nikola Tesla. Then, standing in the other corner, Thomas Edison, weighing in at a hefty 210 pounds. He believed in DC, also known as direct current, where you would have to have many substations for powering, and this was kind of dangerous. All right, DC was not the best, just putting that out there. Um, and by having all these little substations, it would make him tons of money. But it was not necessarily good for the people. So he was at odds with Tesla. And he even went as far to electrocute an elephant with alternating current to, pr to prove that alternating current was too dangerous. Poor Topsy the elephant. There are pictures that you can look up online. And I just feel bad every time I see that poor little elephant. I, I just... I don't want to talk about it. But during this time, we have a lot of electrical wars going on, so to speak. We have Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla trying to provide power to America. And which way is the best way? Alter uh, ultimately, alternating current one out. Go Nikola Tesla. Me personally, Thomas Edison, you're kind of a jerk. All right. 
So now that we have you know these steam engines, we have electricity, we have a lot of businesses, we have all these kind of things, we need to get goods to the cities where everyone is starting to live. And that's urbanization, which I'll get into in just a moment. So we have to get all these goods to the cities. So we start off using river boats or navigable rivers. So anything that can transport. So the Maumee River, not far from where I live, was a good way to get goods from place to place. Now, if you didn't have a river somewhere, you could make a man-made river like a canal. Not too far from here as well, the Anthony Wayne Trail used to be a canal. And there's certain areas you can actually still see parts of the locks or the big stones that were used to raise in lower water. And there's actually a park not too far from the Anthony Wayne Trail on the Maumee River called Sidecut Park, and it got its name because it was a shortcut or side cut from the canal down to the river. Now, there were roads during this time, but maybe not so much the whole car thing. That's a little bit later on. So roads were used, and you could use horse and buggy and so forth on those. Not so much the big trucking lanes that we have today. And also, we used railroads. And remember that Bessemer process I talked about, we had lots of steel, let's make some trains. And these are steam trains because of that steam power we talked about. So just to give you an idea of how much, how many railroads uh, or railways are being put in during this time. In 1850, there was just a little over 9,000 miles worth of tracks or rail tracks. By 1900, 50 years later, we were at 198,839 miles. Um, so we almost were at 200,000 from 9,000. Just to give you an idea, this is the distance it would go from New York City to LA, 2,443 miles. So that 2,443 miles, the amount that we had could go into that 81 times. So you could make 81 trips, New York City to LA. And a lot of these traveling could have been done on the Transcontinental Railroad, which was 1,900 miles long, and it was built between 1863 and 1869, and it was the first American Transcontinental Railroad, and that was from Sacramento, California, to the Bluffs of Iowa. And many Chinese immigrants that we talked about earlier helped with the creation of this, but then with the Chinese Exclusion Act, we were like, thank you, go home now, uh, which is very nice. And with this railroad, it was easier to transport raw materials and goods over an extremely far distance. Now, it wasn't just goods that were moving, it was people. And remember how I said most people are living in cities? Well, this is called urbanization. And it's an increasing number of the entire population lives in cities. And they got there with rivers, canals, roads, and railways. And cities began to grow as kind of like the central hub. And you could live in the city and enjoy things that you were enjoying from far away. For instance, I like pineapple. Are there any pineapple trees here in Ohio? Not 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 that I know of. So because of because of transportation, because of this amazing industrialization, we can enjoy goods from farther away. I mean heck, most of our products are made in other countries. So because factories were not limited by location, sorry, I know this seems a little off base. Bear with me. All right, you could power vast amounts of machinery anywhere because of coal. Therefore, businesses where a lot of, you know, where you need a lot of people started to develop in cities where, hey, there's a lot of business, there's a lot of people. So all these people and all these jobs are all going to the city, hence 
that urbanization. So now that all these people are living in the cities, we need to find places for them to live. And they are going to live in tenements, um, also known as narrow four or five story buildings. Uh, no elevators, often made out of brick, very few windows, very limited plumbing and electrical. Um, when I say limited plumbing, I mean you generally went to the bathroom in a bucket. Sometimes you threw it out the window. Pretty gross. Tiny rooms often packed full of people and multiple things would be going on inside that room, meaning that one room would be for cleaning, sleeping, going to the bathroom, eating, you name it. Kind of gross to have all those people stuck there. They were very poorly constructed and it was the main housing um, in the slums and the ghettos. And disease was often rampant in this area. Like I said, people threw poo out the windows. It was not nice. Now, I'm talking about the lower end here of the tenements, but there were people that were doing okay during this time. There was, you know, some traditional financiers and other businessmen, basically people that, you know, you know these managers that made money. And we started to see upper and middle class uh, emerge. So we had the workers, but we also had people that were kind of enjoying uh, some of the fruits of other people's labors or the fruits of their own labors for that matter. So the upper class would take trips to the seaside, played croquet, bicycled, and went ice skating. And we saw this thing called conspicuous consumption, a uh, consumer who buys expensive things just to show off their wealth. So there's no real need for it, but they were like, look, look at how awesome I am. I can afford this amazing car that gets me from point A to point B, but oh, it costs $100,000. I'm sticking my head up in the air if you can't tell as I, as I read this. Now, the middle class wasn't far off, all right? They had social groups. Many of the same sports and games that the upper class did, uh, such as cricket, lawn tennis, croquet, ice skating, or as they called it, rinkomania. <laughs> now, just to give you a little local history here of leisure and entertainment of the upper and middle class, in the summer of 1870, Louis Zistel opened a small beer garden and bathhouse and dance floor on a peninsula in Sandusky, which later became Cedar Point. And they had thrill rides in 1892 with the first roller coaster known as the Switchback Railway, standing a tall 25 feet in the air, traveling at speeds of 10 miles an hour, roughly that of what someone can run. And it didn't even have a power lift, so cars had to be pulled back into the station by hand. So, yeah, maybe not the best. Now, just to going a little bit more into entertainment of the middle class and upper class, we have this thing called Vaudeville. And Vaudeville was traveling variety entertainment from 1880s to the 1930s. And it used to include musicians, dancers, comedians, trained animals, magicians, which is different from musicians with an S, um, impersonators, acrobats, one-act plays, athletes, celebrities, and short movies. And it's it was kind of like the YouTube of the day. And once we had TV... There wasn't as much need for vaudeville. So vaudeville went away in the 30s when TV was a little becoming more popular and radio and so forth. So it was kind of the, the death of vaudeville. But also in the 30s, we had the Great Depression. People didn't have money to do that whole cons conspicuous consumption kind of showing off their money because they didn't have any. But 
we'll get into that a little bit later on. Now, during this time, you know, going on with that whole idea of leisure here, uh, music. And I think it's generally pretty fair to say that music of a time is usually based on what's going on during that time. So music back then would talk about working hard and, you know, uh, immigration and pollution and working in factories and those kind of things. And the same can be said for art during this time, which music is a form of art. And art back then um, of the upper class would show leisure activities such as hunting or maybe lawn tennis or croquet or bicycling. And, you know, some of the other work, uh, artwork would depict work. For instance, on 1880, there was one called the Iron Workers Noontime, and it depicted, you know, some factory workers working outside of a giant brick building of some type of factory. And the last little bit that I want to go over here um, during during this time is kind of talking about some culture that we'll see. And the culture that I'm mentioning is this thing called the Harlem Renaissance, and I'm, I'm kind of glossing over this right now, but I'm kind of also setting a tone for what we're going to go over a little bit later when we talk about the Harlem Renaissance uh, continuing into the 1920s, but which is also still part of industrialization. But anyhow, during this time, we see the establishment of an African-American middle class in Harlem, New York. And because of this kind of migration within the country and the movement for jobs and so forth, and we'll get into all this much more later on, so I feel bad if it looks like I'm glossing over this. I'm not. I'm just revisiting later. Um, this led to an expansion of African-American culture in the northern part of the country, specifically Harlem, New York, and this brought in a lot of jazz and blues. So what I want you to know about this right now, and like I said, we'll revisit later, this is an African-American cultural movement. So we're seeing the movement of culture with industrialization, immigration, and all these things that are going on here. So. I know it's a lot of information there, but I know you guys can handle it, so I'm going to pause there for now and pick up with some more units momentarily. So, hope you're enjoying. Stay tuned. There's always more history. It's new all the time. Well, maybe not always new, but we're making new history, so that's new, but it's history, so it's old. All right, I'm going to stop now. Have a good one. Bye.